The mission is simple, to help high achievers naturally eliminate emotional and physical obstacles so they can optimize their life for higher achievement. Welcome, you have just entered the Genesis Zone. Good day and welcome to the Genesis Zone show. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on this beautiful Thursday. Um, The subjects of longevity and quality of life have been discussed in scientific research circles for decades. There are multiple camps of thought on these subjects, but is the evidence showing that inflammation may be the common denominator? Stay tuned, and we're going to dive into that. Before I get deep into today's topic, let me share some news from the world of epigenetics. And and bear with me for a moment. Uh, It'll come back around full circle to today's topic. In a recent study published in the Neurology Journal on August the 11th, um, this study showed that people who walk or garden at least three to four hours per week or bike at least two to three hours per week or the equivalent thereof after having had a stroke may have a 54% lower risk of death from any cause after their stroke. The study found uh, the most benefit for younger stroke survivors. By the way, this was a large longitudinal study. So the average participant was followed for about four and a half years. Um, There were 895 stroke victims in this study and 97,805 control subjects representing the general population who had never had a stroke. I mean, if you really want to do some mathematical gymnastics, those who uh, suffered with a stroke, who do not exercise, regularly or on a regular basis have a 46% chance of dying within four and a half years of their stroke compared to the general population who's never had a stroke. That's a 46% chance of death if you don't exercise. I don't know about you, but those odds odds aren't good. But as a curious person, I have to ask the question, why? Why does light exercise, because that's what the study looked at, why does light exercise have the, this big impact on five-year survivability after a stroke? Now, sure, this is a pure hypothetical speculation, but it's how research is furthered. My hypothesis is this, and by the way, it's really simple and straightforward. Now, that's pretty much how I work. The first thing that comes to mind is that a stroke causes an aggressive inflammatory response in the brain. And numerous studies tell us that regular exercise lowers inflammation, whether you've had a stroke or haven't had a stroke. And other studies show us that those who are inflamed live shorter lives because they're more prone to uh, comorbid conditions, yet those who have low levels of inflammation or no inflammation tend to live longer lives. More on that in a minute. 
I think it all boils down to inflammation. You, you've got this condition, a stroke, that ramps up the inflammation in an aggressive manner. It stokes the fire into a roaring blaze, so to speak. I mean, if you're sitting near a campfire and the fire burns down to the embers, in order to get it going again, all you have to do is throw a stick of wood on the fire to get it blazing, right? I, I think that's what happens with a stroke. When someone doesn't exercise afterward, the embers just sit there waiting to be stoked. Then once the fire catches, it's either really, really destructive or it spreads to new areas causing irreparable damage. In this case, those other areas are other organ systems. Now let's talk about today's topic. Longevity and quality of life. Is inflammation really the key, the link between those two? The, the first thing I'm going to share with you um, reveals that histamine could be a key player in depression, according to a new study. So this falls under the quality of life category. Depression numbers are on the rise worldwide, and, are, uh, and so are antidepressant prescriptions. And by the way, this is not limited to just the United States. Data shows that this problem is happening everywhere. This research was conducted at, uh, for this study that I'm about to tell you about at the Imperial College of London and the University of South Carolina in partnership. And findings uh, add to growing evidence that inflammation and byproducts of information, inflammation such as histamine affects a key neurotransmitter responsible for mood regulation in the brain. And that neurotransmitter is serotonin. In fact, as the title of the study suggests, Inflammation-induced histamine impairs the capacity of escitalopram to increase hippocampal extracellular serotonin. That's a mouthful. Let me break it down for you. I'll, I'll start with a quote from the authors of this, of this study. Quote, we show decreased serotonin levels are supported by increased histamine activity because of inflammation acting on inhibitory receptors on the serotonin terminals. Now, for a quick cell biology refresher, uh, receptors are like keyholes, okay? Each one has a unique key that fits into that unique keyhole and turns the lock. And when that lock is turned, biologically, that receptor does a certain activity. In this particular case, in this study, we've got serotonin receptors, we've got histamine receptors, okay? but we're only talking about the histamine receptors here. So in this case, there are inflammatory receptors for histamine on the parts of the neurons where serotonin is produced. And when histamine comes along as the key and fits into the histamine receptor keyhole, it turns the lock and apparently shuts down production of serotonin. So the study pointed out the, this phenomenon, but on top of that, they also pointed out that not even a big pharma wonder drug can get it to turn on. In other words, not even an SSR, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, can get that uh, histamine knocked off of that receptor and allow serotonin to start producing again. And by the way, if, if you don't know this, I've... I've lived and practiced long enough. I've lived through the Prozac era. I've lived through the Lexapro era. Lexapro being escitalopram, the one that was studied in the study, by the way. 
And back in the day when Prozac came out, it was considered the gold standard for antidepressants. It's what we measured all other, other antidepressants against. And then Lexapro came out and Lexapro became known as the platinum standard because whereas it took six to eight weeks for Prozac to kick in, we would see results in as early as seven to 10 days with Lexapro or escitalopram. It's not surprising that inflammation is involved in depression. We've known that for uh, over a decade now. But this finding may give us some insights as to why some people seem to be treatment resistant to certain antidepressants. Personally, from my clinical experience, I've found more often than not that people who struggle with depression have what we jokingly call in the medical field, triple P. And that stands for piss poor protoplasm. In other words, they've got bad genes. The good news is that we can check for these genes and put measures in place to turn off those genetic switches, those bad genetic switches, and turn on the good genetic switches. Then combine this with nutritionally supporting the neurotransmitter genes, the methylation genes, the detoxification genes. And when you do this, you've got something that big pharma can't touch. What you've got is a way to naturally tackle depression at the level of what I call true root causes. All right, let's go to the next study. Here's another study that points to quality of life and its relationship to inflammation via proper mindset control. This was a recent study published in the journal Psychology and Aging. There were 5,039 participants, so it's a great size study. Uh, And all of these participants were 40 and over, and they followed them for three years. Participants who subjectively felt younger had a greater sense of well-being. Uh, They had better cognitive function. And get this, they had less inflammation. They had a lower risk for hospitalization and even lived longer than their peers who said that they subjectively felt older. So the researchers point out, and I quote, feeling younger may help buffer middle-aged and older adults against damaging effects of stress. But the key there was, is that not only did it help with cognition, not only did it help with um, overall health and hospitalization rates and things like that, but inflammation was decreased simply with a mindset shift of, I feel younger. All right, let's go to the next study. Next up is a study that was recently published in the Journal of Brain Behavior and Immunity that revealed higher inflammation as measured by pro-inflammatory cytokines in the bloodstream was related to worse attention, concentration, and focus. However, after five years of meditation training, attentional, excuse me, After five weeks, five years, back that up. After five weeks of meditation training, attentional control improved significantly as a result of lower inflammation. So the bottom line is this. Our immune system, a.k.a. our inflammation system, is now known to affect both positively and negatively our cognitive function. Think about it. The implications for this are huge. Implications in Alzheimer's, implication in depression, anxiety, and ADHD treatment, just to name a few. Not to mention the growing number of people who don't have any of those issues 
but struggle with brain fog on a day in, day out basis, and they don't know why. You've heard me mention this several times, and I'll mention it again. In my previous podcast episode from March the 12th, titled, Can Your Thoughts Reprogram Your Genes? I discussed this in detail, and it all boiled down to, yes, you know, the the thoughts can control the genes. You'll have to listen to the episode to see which of those genes it does affect. It'll be really interesting. I want to hear your feedback. So my question to you is this, for the sake of your brain health, how inflamed are you? How inflamed do you want to be? And do you want to lower your inflammation? And last up, our longevity study that was published in the Lancet uh, smaller publication, eBioMedicine. This was a fascinating study that looked at 1,554 individuals who are, get, get this, between the ages of 85 and 110 years old. Now, just in case you're curious, <laughs> I know I was, 684. Okay, 684 of the 1,500 participants were 100 years of age and older. That is huge, folks. Now, I know you may be wondering, where did they find this many individuals, 684 individuals over the age of 100? And the great question is, and and that's a great question, they found them in one place, Japan. Now, I've been fascinated with Japan for years. I guess it was about Oh, it's been about 20 years ago. I read this uh, this study. It's it's actually published as a book called the Icelandic Longevity Study. I think it's actually still in print, believe it or not, uh, because it's that important. But I've been fascinated with Japan ever since I read that study 20 years back, and uh, because they have the highest population of centenarians anywhere in the world outside of Iceland. Iceland comes in a close second. Um, but here's the interesting thing about this. These centenarians do not reside on the westernized Japanese islands. They reside on the traditional Japanese islands where they eat the traditional Japanese diet. Uh, in, In the Icelandic longevity study, it was determined that centenarians, whether they were in Iceland or whether they were on the isolated islands in Japan, have several things in common. But the strongest commonality was that they ate diets high in fish and vegetables. In fact, researchers in that Icelandic longevity study went on to prove that they ate diets so high in fish that the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 in their diet was somewhere around four to five parts omega-3, sometimes upwards of six parts omega-3 to one part omega-6. Now, compare this to the diet of a, of, of a Westerner, and it's something more like zero parts omega-3 to an astronomical 10 to 20 parts omega-6, and I think it's getting worse. By the way, the structure of your cells are made up of alternating molecules of fat and water. If a cell is made up of omega-6 uh, fat as its fat component, um, guess what? It's rigid. It can't take in nutrients well. It can't excrete or get rid of waste very well. It's grossly malnourished. It's toxic. In fact, when you look at these under a microscope, the, the cells actually look darker. And these cells die earlier 
than their omega-3 cell counterparts. Now add to this a plethora of data that shows that omega-3s or or fish oils have potent anti-inflammatory properties as well as protecting uh, a vital piece of your chromosome called telomeres. And I think you've got a good reason why health benefits of an omega-3 rich diet is is, is good for longevity. Uh, But I digress. Now let's get back to the Lancet study. The title of this Lancet study says it all. Here's the title. Inflammation, but not telomere length, predicts successful aging at extreme old age. A longitudinal study of semi-supercentenarians. Now, what are telomeres, you may be asking? You know, if inflammation is so much more predictive of longevity than telomeres, let's break it down. What are telomeres? That's a great question. They are the tip ends of your chromosomes. Now, if you recall from biology class, making you do mental calisthenics here, making you go way back. If you recall from biology class, chromosomes carry your coded DNA message, your information from one cell to the next when a cell replicates. Now, to the best of our knowledge, And at a very basic level, telomeres seem to protect the chromosome's DNA from damage. So the longer your telomere, the healthier and more purely your DNA is passed from one cell to another. So if your telomeres are too short, then it's like making a copy of a copy of a copy over and over and over again. And what ends up coming out is a very muddled and grainy copy in the long run. So if your telomeres are too short, you pass on a DNA code uh, that's that's too grainy and too muddled to be read on the other side. And therefore, there's a misinterpretation of the of the coding. And we end up with errors in the coding. It's it's like a computer language, to be quite honest with you. It's a processing system. And if it's not coded right, the the uh, the computer's not going to run right. And the computer in this case would be your cell. Now, telomere companies have been popping up left and right over the past few years. And they make claims that they can tell your cellular age compared to your biological or chronological age. And if I'm being completely honest, I kind of bought into it early on. But the more I've looked into it, the more I keep coming back to inflammation as the master regulator of everything. So in this study uh, published in The Lancet, inflammation played a more important role in determining longevity than telomere length did. And this is longitudinal data with people 85 to 110 years of age. So in my mind, this data is irrefutable. And it wasn't a small study. It was a big study. So I have to trust it, but we have to ask, what's the deal with inflammation? How can we measure it? How we how can we control it? I mean, we all want to live longer. We all want to live healthier. We want to have, all have higher quality of lives, right? Now, if you don't hear me say anything else, when you hear the word inflammation, you must think immune response. We are highly inflamed. Uh, people. We could sit here for days and debate the reason why that is. Is it related to poor diet? Is it related to low exercise, poor quality of sleep, smoking, obesity, periodontal disease, poor quality of air, infections, whether they're hidden or known, 
declining hormones with age or emotional stress? You know, I think the answer is a resounding yes, yes, and yes. But how do you know you have aggressive inflammation? And if you have it, what do you do about it? Well, firstly, if you have aggressive inflammation, it probably means that you have an aggressive immune response. In all likelihood, you could be having any of the following symptoms like fatigue, hair loss, achy muscles, joint pain, skin rashes, chronic pain, low-grade fever, numbness and tingling in your hands or feet, trouble concentrating, depression, anxiety, or mood swings, allergy-like reactions to certain foods. Inflammation is all about immune response. And when the immune system results in chronic inflammation over time, it often turns on the body itself. Out-of-control immune and inflammatory responses is the true definition of autoimmunity. In recent years, we've been hearing about a significant upward trend in autoimmune disorders. Right now, there are over 100 autoimmune disorders that have been identified. More than 50 million Americans suffer with some form of an autoimmune disorder. The popular NHANES study showed that from 1988 to 2012, presence of autoimmune antibodies leading to a confirmed diagnosis of an autoimmune disorder rose from 22 million to 41 million million affected individuals. From 2012 until now, the data conservatively shows that these numbers are more than 50 million at present. And that's just in the U.S. alone. Other countries are reporting similar numbers. Now, my question is this. Why are less than one twentieth of 1% of mainstream medical providers not concerned with, nor are they checking the genes that are associated with controlling inflammation. And when we look at biohackers and health professionals in the complementary and alternative medicine fields, the numbers aren't much better. Here at the Genesis Zone, when I'm working with clients, I am hyper-focused on inflammation of any kind. And I'm hyper-focused on inflammation first at the genetic level. I simply have to be. The stakes are way too high. So what do you do about inflammation if you have some of the challenges that I just mentioned? Well, if you're feeling like an inflamed person, maybe you can't quite put a finger on what's going on. Maybe you can. Um, Maybe you just know that something isn't quite right. Or you're one of those people that is a biohacker to the nth degree. You're in great shape, but you want to cover all your bases and you want to make sure that longevity is being preserved. And you've never had an in-depth medical grade uh, gene optimization profile run. If you're in either one of those camps, feel free to message me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Brian G. Brown. I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to help you any way I can. Also, as promised, the Gene Hack Bootcamp is coming back. Uh, it's open for enrollment right, right now. And it starts, the new class starts on September 20th. It's going to run for five days. To find out more, go to drbriangbrown.com forward slash gene hack and follow the instructions there. Um, in the gene hack bootcamp, using my proprietary Genesis Zone method, I'm going to teach you how to know exactly which of your five zones of optimization. That's a proprietary system that I created, whether uh, you're in the brain, body, sleep, energy, or immune zone 
uh, type of camp, you're going to know which of those zones is your primary zone that's out of balance. And, and why that's important is this. If you don't know the starting point, you, you don't know where you're having the crux of your problems. You don't know where to uh, place the filter over your eyes so you can start interpreting data. When we do genetics, it's a huge profile and it's a bit overwhelming. But when we run you through the Genesis Zone questionnaire in this boot camp, and you understand which of your zones is your primary zone of focus. And then I come back and teach you which genes you need to focus on within that zone that's your primary zone that's out of balance. Then we start getting laser focused on where we go. And what I've seen clinically is it gets results in weeks, days or weeks, instead of multiple months and years. So if, if you're interested in that, again, go to Dr. Brian G. Brown forward slash uh, Dr. Brian G. Brown dot com forward slash gene hack and uh, check check it out. Tune in next Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time for our next in the zone segment where I'll be sharing the latest research and my insights about that research as it relates to optimizing your physical and emotional wellness journey and especially uh, epigenetically and genetically most informed and most trusted, uh, most grateful you spent this time with us today. Until next time, stay in the zone. I'm Dr. Brian Brown. Uh-huh.